as always, alongside Luke Burroughs and uh, Nick Robinson. We have a lot to cover, but before we get to that, please remember to download both the Barnburner and Zingo TV app available on both iOS and Android devices. Zingo TV is also available on Chromecast, Amazon Fire, and Fire TV Sticks, Roku, uh, and Roku Sticks also on all smart TVs. 2016 and forward. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Great. Awesome. Just got a new 2020 smart TV and uh, it's actually on downstairs on Zingo. I'm not okay. joking. And, uh, and my mom and sister are watching. So Okay, perfect. That's uh, that's nice to hear. Um, yeah. Let's jump right into it. Last night, uh, there was game three of Dallas Tampa. Uh, I've not been following along as closely as I probably should be. Uh, I find these two teams, despite being having exciting players, like in a, as a matchup, not overly exciting. But anyway, last night, Tampa won 5-2. And they lead 2-1 over the Dallas Stars. Goals coming from Kucherov, Stamkos in his return, Victor Hedman, Braden Point, and Andre Palat. And the two goals on Dallas came from Jason Dickinson and Miro Heiskin. Uh, the talk around this was that Dallas did not look like... This was the worst game Dallas has played by far throughout the playoffs. And a lot of people think that Stamkos coming back for Tampa, also obviously helping Tampa, would also sort of propel Dallas to play a little bit better. It didn't. They looked pretty bad. And honestly, it seems like the consensus around the league right now around Twitter around anyone talking hockey is that Tampa is going to close it out in the next two games. Uh, what are your thoughts on last night's game and what are your thoughts on the series? Luke, we'll start with you. Uh, well, if Tampa does close it out in the next two games, someone's prediction is spot on, but last night there was no way Tampa was losing that game. Um, just, like I think watching Stamkos, I mean, there's, there's, there's almost too much hype around if he was going to play, uh, but watching him take warm-ups and stuff, there's no way Tampa was going to lose that game. And a few minutes in, it just, you could tell. And Dallas, like Kevin Bieksa said, Dallas was there physically, but mentally they were just, they seemed to be struggling. And I'd agree with that. They made a lot of very, just kind of lazy decisions that that obviously, you know, kind of re- resulted in, in a pretty lopsided game. Uh, I think it, it could have been a lot worse than 5-2. Uh, good thing it wasn't, but Stamkos, I, I doubt he he'll come back. It was, it was, it was nice to see him play last night. Um, and I, I, and I knew he would, but, uh, it's kind of funny because there's a lot of talk after TSN released their documentary or their feature the other night about, um, you know, playing through pain and painkillers, uh, Stamkos's decision to, stop playing last night but stay on the bench it's it's interesting but we'll we'll see what happens with him i doubt he comes back nick yeah i think luke hit the nail on the head definitely could have been a lot worse for the dallas stars but we knew this was sort of going to be what happened coming into the series tampa bay was going to throw all the offense at dallas and dallas's only hope in this series if it is if they can cycle that offense and keep tampa off the board and they just haven't been able to do that the past two games Braden Point, Nikita Kutrov look so good, and I'm sure Patrick fully agrees. Um, they look great. Victor Hedman, Mr. Conn Smythe, he's becoming quickly, leading a tight for first now in the playoffs and goals. is unbelievable. It's going to be hard for Dallas to come back because obviously this is a big punch to them. So I guess uh, one of our predictions is going to be right. I know Luke predicted Tampa 4-1, and at the rate it's going right now, who knows? And uh, Patrick and I, who both said Dallas 4-2, are going to need a quick comeback here. So, yeah, that's what we're going to leave it at. I'm not too worried about Dallas. I I think they can tighten up defensively. I thought they 
it was just offense for them. And from the highlights I've seen, at least of last night's game and other games that I've watched a little bit of, Dallas just seems unable to generate anything offensively. But defensively, they've contained Tampa to the best of their ability given how strong Tampa is offensively. As far as Steven Stankos, that's just a cool story. Him coming on, it was almost pretty early in the first period. He gets a goal. I think that's pretty cool. And I hope, obviously, we're going to talk about the injuries and and, and the TSN document that came out. But it would be cool if he came back and, and kind of continued this run with them, get a couple more points, get a couple more goals, and actually win the cup. Because it kind of it's unfortunate for him. He's been with them for so long. He takes a team-friendly deal, or sort of a team-friendly deal. And he's a goal scorer, and he hasn't been – an integral part of that team's offense for most of this year. And it's weird that they've sort of done this well, not done this well, but they've been able to stay strong without a key piece. So I'm hoping he comes back, but also if he doesn't, I think that's completely understandable. I'm guessing a lot of it is going to depend on how Tampa does. Like if they're up, if they win game four and they're up three, one, I would almost guarantee he doesn't. But if, if Dallas wins the next two, you know, you, you see that he, he maybe and probably would come back to play a, but I feel like that could go both ways. If they're up and they have a game to close it out and he's willing to play one more, then he could do that. Or if the season goes a little bit longer and they force a, a later game, then he could say, okay, I'll take this time to recover, see how the series go. And if there's but, a game six or a game seven, then I would jump in. Yeah, that's what I mean. If if he were to risk his health for one game, you'd think he'd do it in a game where, say, they're down, I guess it'd have to be 3-2 in this series instead of up 3-1 or 3-2. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever the case is, Stamkos' injury, I think we can all agree, definitely energized the Lightning to a degree. They came out the gate flying last night, and, you know, I look pretty dumb because last week on the show, I predicted that Stamkos <laughs> would be an absolute non-factor in this series. I actually went out and said he's going to have no points in the Stanley Cup final, and then, you know, on his third shift, he comes in and snipes one past Hudobin, so... That's okay. At least the, the Heisman and Norris pick looks less terrible every single every single day. He scored another goal last night. He's playing unbelievable. I sold him short is what I did. Yeah, really. Should have should have picked Norris and Consmith. Um, let's move on from that series just because there's, obviously there's nothing else to talk about with that. Um, let's talk about some rumors. A lot more rumors in the NHL uh, regarding some pretty big players, but starting with a player not so big. Uh, maybe Luke thinks so, but Chris Tanev. Um, the Penguins apparently are prepared um, to give Chris Tanev a five-year deal. Um, again, Chris Tanev, we talked about him a couple weeks ago. He's fine. He's a fine player. Okay. Defensively. I think his sort of grit and intangibles are overrated a little bit by Canucks fans. Uh, not you Luke, but just the Canucks Twitter. Um, what's his value? Luke, do you want to see him go? Do you want Pittsburgh or uh, Vancouver to bring him back? What are your thoughts? If that's the deal on the table, if that's the deal he has, like I, I doubt Pittsburgh's actually made that offer. But if they were to offer him that, for his sake, I'd hope he takes that. And I don't see why he wouldn't because he's not going to get that in Vancouver. Um, definitely not that term. Maybe maybe that money. I'd hope not that money, but maybe that well, what's money he making if he's now? signed really short term. But uh, I couldn't tell you. Let me get on the internet, but I think four million. I believe it's four. Um, he's making right now. You guys, one of you sent the the his heat maps over his whole career, and I uh, four point four five. Um, okay. Yeah, um, send his heat maps over his career, and I I didn't realize how much he dropped off this year, just based on on that uh, those statistics specifically. But I I 
I'm kind of, I'm kind of easing up on the push to re-sign him. Um, I think he's, he's maybe not replaceable as, you know, Chris Tanev, who's, who's been around for 10 years and who was a sort of a part of that 2011 run and stuff. Um, yeah, look, even, even 2011, he, he was, uh, he was pretty effective. Not yeah, as, so we'll just explain this one prime, super but... quick just for people watching. So obviously on the bottom, you want your minuses. That indicates that a player is allowing less chances when they're on the ice in the defensive zone. You want positives on the top in the color red because that indicates they're throwing more pucks towards the net. And obviously, you know, Chris Tanev is not known for his offense. And you see that pretty clearly on the top that he is essentially a non-factor in the offensive zone and actually sort of hurts the Canucks a bit, but that tends to even out a bit when you are as heavy in the blues as he was on the bottom for so long. But as we can see this year, he definitely dropped off, which is concerning uh, given his age and the salary he can likely command just because of his reputation. Cause Luke, maybe you can speak a bit to that. He definitely is a well-liked player uh, among the Canucks and their fans. Room guy. Yeah. Like, I think, I think a big part, at least for me personally, a big part of it is him and Alex Sedler are the only remaining um, members from from that core that that everyone was so fond of a decade ago. So it would it would be it'd be tough to lose him, and it's clear all the all the young guys. Um, I know Quinn Hughes especially. Uh, Tanev's meant a lot to to his development so far. So it'd be tough, but purely from a business standpoint, if Pittsburgh is giving them that offer, I would 100% take it. And it, it might take a bit for, you know, other guys to step into his, into his locker room role, but his on ice performance, I, I hate to say it, but it's probably kind of easily replaceable. Yeah. I, I was reading earlier, someone like Dylan DeMello is someone that the Vancouver Canucks could look at. I don't think that's a bad replacement. I wanted to ask you guys how much stock I know Nick and I will probably the same answer. Yours might be a little bit different. How much stock are we really putting into locker room character guys i think it's important i think it's important to a I degree think a lot. i think yeah it's definitely important but you wouldn't it's, it's more not, important to the players than it is to us but yeah, oh, yes yeah. but it's not so important that you overpay but, for someone's yeah poor play maybe. because they're a good locker room player so chris tanev in this example like i know for example like there were so many videos in the canucks locker room of the way he acted with the players and you know in montreal's case it was Edmondson, he said, all all his teammates loved him in St. Louis. We see this with just about every single team, but that doesn't warrant. But I don't think money. I don't think, like in Montreal's case, you can acquire a locker room guy. If just because Edmund, just because Edmondson was was a team like a teammate favorite in St. Louis, I wouldn't bank too much on him coming to Montreal and immediately kind of fitting into that same role. I think it's very. It's very different on each team. And I, I think know, I agree with Luke on this. Yeah, I see what you're saying as in, you know, perhaps a person that is a really good fit with one group of players perhaps doesn't automatically gel to that degree with another group of players, right? At, at that point, you're essentially not trading for hockey talent. You're trading for personalities. Is that like, a, yeah. I, I think that's what yes, you're sort of like, getting at. But I think, I think GMs see those type of players it's rare that a GM, and this is sort of weird now that I'm thinking about it, it's rare that a GM sees a highly skilled player and says they're a great locker room guy. The amount of times, and honestly, maybe it's just Montreal, that he has picked up these bottom six players for their gritty play. Those tend to be the players that he says they're great in the locker room. And fine, maybe that's just Bergevin saying that. But it tends to be the stay-at-home defensive defenseman. It tends to be the gritty fourth liners who are the ones who are a little bit more 
better in the locker room. And I think maybe you can't trade for a specifically a locker room guy, but it tends to be those locker room guys are all kind of the same player. Someone like, I, go, ahead, go ahead. No, okay. go ahead. I, I, was... I think, I think Vancouver um, specifically in Vancouver's case until this year, I might've agreed with you a bit more, Pat, but, but this year, the Canucks, you could tell that how much they gelled compared to the past, you know, five or six really rough years, like watching them in the playoffs, like you've never seen a more kind of complete. And I, I don't mean complete in terms of skill, because obviously there's a lot that Vancouver, uh, you know, there's, there's a ways they still have to go in terms of just their skill level, but, but how they perform together and the Minnesota and the St. Louis series are awesome examples of that. And I'll kind of get to that later about Chris Tanev scoring that overtime goal. But the way that that team looked is like the first time that, that they've looked like a, a team that wants to win together since, since 2011. And, and I think at least for me, it's really shown me how important that is. Maybe you're not the best skill wise, but how important it is for everyone to, I guess, buy in. And, you know, people say buy in a lot too, if you're talking about a coach's system or something, but just buy into right. To being on that team so I would still say no you can't just bring in someone because they're known to be a good locker room guy and expect them to just fit in perfectly sure they'll probably have a better chance if they're a likable guy but Chris Tanev I wouldn't be surprised he goes to Pittsburgh and you know that that sort of the relationships you develop don't carry over if you know what I mean yeah can I can I ask a point on this now like what are what are you basing that on are you like is that like just the general media reaction or do you think the fact that the Canucks were better actually on literally, the ice this year is literally up for some of that? Because I, what I'm yeah. saying is in the 20, I, I'll compare this to a, a situation I am aware of the 2016, 17 senators went to the Eastern conference finals, but then the 2017, 18 senators fell flat and they finished 30th in the league. And after that year, Pierre Dorian came out in his end of year press conference and talked about how his dressing room was broken is yeah, I guess this is a larger hockey conversation overall is a good locker room, a good locker locker room, or is it a winning locker room? Are they, I, or are I, they exactly the same thing is a bad I, locker room, a bad mix of personalities, or is it just a team that's been losing a lot of games? Like yes. that, that's what the more overall arc to the sport that I think needs to be addressed because, you know, if you're just, again, acquiring guys for personalities, but they're a detriment to the hockey team, that's not going to improve the actual morale, which I'm sure is a component to a good locker room. Right. Can I Luke, go ahead. And then I'm going to add, cause okay. I, I think I agree with you, it. Nick. And it's not, it's definitely not one or the other. And I think we'd all agree on that. It's, it's a little bit of both, but I think where we are disagreeing is how much it sways each way. And I agree with you in saying you can't just acquire a good locker room guy. That's kind of what I've been saying. But in the case of Chris Tanev, he's built up, he's built up his, his, you know, his reputation to be that good locker room guy for, for how long he's been through and how long he's been here and what he's been through. Um, I, and and to answer your question on on what am I basing all of this off of, a lot of it honestly is just what I'm watching. It's just eye test. I think you know there aren't any numbers for this, obviously, but I think just watching this team compared to, say the the 16, 17 Vancouver Canucks, I I have nothing to back it up. All I can say is what from what I've seen, it just looks like such a 
more complete team. Yes, they're winning more. I wouldn't say they're a, a winning successful team yet. They're winning more, but regardless, I think, I think, and I, and I'd assume you guys can agree to a, to a degree and you've both played hockey, you've played on teams before, even if you're not winning, playing on a team where everyone meshes well together is so important. Okay, this is where I'm going to add because I think I think you both make good points there, and I want to touch on what Nick said because the ex- I think this you can attribute this to any team in, in to be honest. But so for example, Montreal's 2016 uh, 2015 season when they had an epic collapse, they go nine and zero. They basically just lost almost the rest of the season. They were playing brutal hockey. Uh, Subban came or uh, Bergevin came out, traded Subban for Weber. Said Weber's a character guy. We thought our locker room was struggling. Um, gets Andrew Shaw and it's so someone like Andrew Shaw or Brian Bickle when people look at the Chicago Blackhawks run in the early 2012s so much of that where it should be attributed to Kane and Taves and Brent Seabrook and Corey Crawford people say well they had just so much character with guys like Shaw and Bickle and that's fine and that's a fine argument and those players were definitely valuable to that team but the character is not talked about with Kane and Taves it's always talked about the grittier guys so with what Nick said is a team good because they're close or is a team close because they're good. So Vancouver, like you mentioned this, this uh, playoff run they went on where they looked close and they looked like they really wanted to win. It's like, yeah, it's because they're good. And that's why they're going to be they? closer. They, I, I they, think, I think they're a good team. I they're think the Canucks are good. I think they, they have not like, think, no, wait, I'm saying, I'm saying all season long. I'm not just saying playoffs. They definitely picked it up in the playoffs. I think we'd all agree on that, but, but all season long, they were they were better, and I think they were kind of as good as you probably hope they were with the, in the direction they're trending. But but I, I don't think okay. Obviously, winning winning helps; it boosts morale. But I think a lot of it is you know is Quinn Hughes, it's Elias Patterson, it's Brock Besser, and just you know having all these awesome young players come in, and then you've got Chris Tana of Bo Horvat, Alex Sedler there who have experienced the crappier times i just think that's important yeah so and i just i'm I'm kind of derailing myself here no i know what you mean because i think it's important and i don't think there's anything wrong with having role players having gritty players as someone who's really invested in analytics and, and sort of against the more big old school hockey mentality i still think there is a little bit of place for grit and those role players i think is it something you have to acquire is it something if a team is bad they're probably bad because they're bad I don't I have, think go ahead go ahead I have one final thought and then I'll shut up I don't think acquiring keyword acquiring um, locker room players is important or necessary but I do think retaining locker room players that you have on your team that you've created on your team Chris Tanev but again um, you know different scenario is important I I just I, I don't think you I don't think you can acquire them like you've said. I could Bergevin. agree with that. I could I could agree with that because, again, th- this now comes down to like the science of humans and emotions and stuff like that. I think in any group of people in any working environment, if you have like a big enough group of people, like people are going to come forward that you point to that are like the go-to guys if you need to speak to somebody, the funny guys, the adventurous guys and all that, like whatever. You're going to find people like that in any group. So I think that's where I would agree with Luke, if you're, you know, bringing in somebody based on the fact that they were a good upbeat person in a different work environment, 
to your own work environment. Like I don't see the mix there. So I don't see why that so it suddenly applies to hockey. I just I, think I, that's, I, that's a bit backwards to me. I agree with that. The only, like, like I said, I'm not against those players, I'm not against that. And I think it's important. You need that. But what I do disagree with Luke about is this year, it's like, Oh, the Canucks looked like they really wanted to win. And that's because they are a good team. If the mm-hmm. Canucks are bad, and usually when teams go through droughts, like Montreal had had two, almost three years in a row, hot start, and then they just plummeted in December, and they played awful. And every single year, it was like, you know, the answer should be in that room. We need more. And this, you can find, say this is just Bergevin, that's a fair argument. But Vancouver was close, I think, this year. If you want to talk about a close locker room, I think they were close because they were good. I don't think they were good because they were close, if that makes sense. I think the former makes more sense to me in Vancouver. And again, that's fine for Chris Tanev, but I think not you, Luke, but from what I've seen on, on Canucks Twitter, a lot of people are willing to give a lot of money to this kind of player. And we saw it again, someone like Matt Bolesky in Anaheim, someone like Dale Weiss in Montreal, someone like Brian Bickle in Chicago or Andrew Shaw in Chicago, who were really secondary pieces. And I don't want to say complimentary, but sure they had some big moments and some big goals in their teams. They were given credit for rallying the team when really that attention should have been on the star players. And it just seems like every time a team does well, it's like, okay, well, let's look at the grittier role players and and credit them for the team really sticking together. If I can say one more thing to come back at that in the 2014, 15 season, when Vancouver made the playoffs um, and lost to Calgary in the first round, they had a better, I mean, it's it's hard to tell obviously with the shortened season, they had a better season. They were more successful that season but they were a wreck on the ice. Um, and just bear with me for a second here, but that was the year, um, you know, you, you had the Sedins and then you kind of had Bo Horvat. Yeah. They, they had no one else. It was, it was just, it was not a fun yeah, put season. Put some respect on my boy, Radim Verbata. <laughs> they had, yeah, that like the Radim Verbata years, as much as I appreciate him, like, it's just, the fact that he was such an important part of Vancouver's dynamics over those years just goes to show how, how kind of thrown together that team was. And they were more successful than the 1920 team, but they just, they didn't right. look it at all. And, and we, we even saw that with the Leafs when Matthews and Nylander were stepping into the league, they, they wanted uh, veterans such as Matt Martin, uh, Leo Komarov um, and stuff like that. But let's, um, Let's move on. Yeah, Nick, hold on. Well, to... you sort of you sort of made a good point there, right at the end. If we okay. want to still continue this, well, you know, it, they, but this, you know, what you the point you just made there, trying to transition this at the end, is probably the best point of all of it, because again, it's another real example. The Leafs had guys like Roman Polak and Matt Martin when they first started this rebuild, and you know, those guys have been phased out, rightfully so, along the way because they just weren't effective NHL players. But now you look at a team like the Leafs that can't win a playoff series yet and perhaps people are focusing on an issue that's not there as in they don't have a Roman Polak or a Matt Martin on the room or in the room sorry whereas you know perhaps they're just getting unlucky at some points in the playoffs or there are actual issues on the ice with the roster construction that doesn't point to characters in the locker room right it's again it's a murky mess but that's that's the sport unfortunately that's for what for worse and that sort of sparks, and we're not going to get into the analytics debate because I think we've had this before. That's for a later episode. But again, that sort of sparked the Lou Lamorello, Kyle Dubas sort of conversation. Um, 
a lot of people don't think it's fair to criticize Lou Lamorello right now, seeing as his team went to the Eastern Conference Final. His team that wasn't overly skilled had gritty, not not gritty, some gritty, but like character players. No one who was unbelievably dynamic with the exception of Matt Barzell. And they played together as a team, whereas Kyle Dubas, who a lot of people don't like, um, where at least fans are sort of split, loaded up on skill. And people are saying they need that. Like someone like Kyle Clifford, uh, least fans who are so obsessed with having a skilled team didn't like, don't like the addition of grit unless it's Kyle Clifford, unless it's someone, uh, unless it sort of goes their way. Good so shot think, rates as well. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So again, that's the same conversation. And if you want to touch on the Leafs, we can. I don't think the Leafs issue is lack of grit or no character or, or respect from, from Matt Martin or Roman Polak or whatever. I honestly think it's roster construction. I think it's defensive construction. And to be honest, I do think their forwards play. I don't want to say selfish, but a little bit. No, I would agree with that. And I think that's an issue. With the they have yeah, so yeah. many highly skilled individuals on that team that they are throwing money at. And that, in my opinion, is not how you build a successful team. Yeah, and for me, what I see from them, and I think I think we've seen in the past from other skilled teams. I think uh, there was a bit of it in Pittsburgh this year, I could say, and uh, in Chicago over the past couple of years. I think one aspect of you know hockey and a team that is desperately needed all the time is accountability. As in, you need your players who are making mistakes. You need the other guys in the locker room to hold them accountable. Hey, you can't do that. Uh, for instance. I know a lot of people were upset this year with Mitch Marner in the playoffs against Columbus, how he sort of almost looked like he wanted to be the hero. He was trying to dance through people, set up the pass, score the big goal. But you ne- you look at the Leafs bench, you never saw Austin Matthews barking at Mitch Marner. You didn't see Sheldon Keefe barking at Mitch Marner to pass the puck, play as a team mate, rather than just wanting to be the guy because there wasn't right. that sense of accountability there you need somebody who's going to look at Mitch Marner and say, Hey, stop. You need to play for the team and just, so, so that's the argument for stuff that's like the that. I think that's something a, that's yeah, needed. That's the argument for a Chris Tanev. Yeah. Someone like that to tell their young players. So it's a, fine I don't line. think, I don't think you need a specific player to do that. There I isn't agree. any type of player in the league that you can just acquire because they hold people accountable. I think it, the responsibility falls on just about any player and it goes for, again, any work environment in the world. You need people that you work with to hold you accountable when you're making mistakes that in turn affect the entire team. So yeah, it's not, it's not individual players. That's for sure. It's the individual players making sure that the team environment that they're playing in allows for, those kinds of discussions and those kinds of constructive criticisms to happen without, you know, the team imploding on itself. And I think that would, that starts at the very top. That starts with management. That starts with player development more than it starts for who you're going to acquire. So coaching is a big part of it too. Yep. And I think in in Toronto's case, look, Toronto's a fantastic team. They're a lot of fun to watch. They have some of the most skilled players in the league, but so much of that is roster construction. And I think the people who, are pointing at Lou or pointing at Dubas for not having the same sort of mindset as Lou Lamorello are missing the point completely. You can acknowledge some of the good moves Lamorello has done. Same thing with Dubas. I think Dubas is obviously the better GM, but um, are we good here? Can we move on? Cause I know Nick wanted to touch on something uh, as we segue into the yeah, next talk. No, uh, we can, we can segue into it. So uh, we're just going to refer now, I guess, with the conversation here, we touched on four different Canadian teams there, but TSN put out a poll question this week 
asking fans to vote on which team in Canada they think is most likely to end the Canadian Stanley Cup drought. And here it is right here. Uh, Patrick, maybe you want to talk us through it a bit? Yeah, so for those who can't see Vancouver or who are listening uh, on the radio instead, uh, Vancouver is number one, 31%. Montreal is number two with 19. Edmonton is number three with 18. Toronto is number four with 16. And then um, Ottawa with six, Winnipeg with six, and then Calgary with four. So I think there's a little bit of recency bias going into this. I think it's a fair list. I don't agree with Montreal at second. I don't agree with Toronto at fourth. Um, But again, it depends who you ask. If we were asked to compile a list, I think mine would look similar, but I don't know if um, I think I'd probably just swap. uh, I'd probably put Montreal third anyway. So what do you guys think of having Vancouver number one? Do you think that's legitimate? I'm going to start with Nick because I think Luke will just say yes. So uh, Uh, Nick, what do you think? This is my genuine reaction because I actually had not seen this until you sent this to us, like right as the show started. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I'm sorry, Pat. I don't know who is voting for Montreal in this right now. Like, I I guess a lot of Habs fans got their hands on this poll, but I like, I seriously can't see why anybody would be tempted to vote for the Montreal Canadiens in this. Like, honestly, I think this is like pretty disrespectful to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, as much as anybody can sit there and they are the easy team to make fun of in the playoffs and everything. But I don't know to have the Montreal Canadians ahead of them, I think is a bit disrespectful to the Maple Leafs. I would agree. Um, Edmonton obviously has great players and McDavid and Dreisel, not just great. Well, Mc, McDavid, the best player in the NHL and Dreisaitl just won the Hart trophy, which we'll touch on a bit later, but I can see arguments for having them ahead of Toronto based on those two players. But if you're looking at an overall roster, there's no reason they should be ahead of them either. Um, I was actually quite surprised that Ottawa got up to 6% uh, ahead of uh, Calgary and tied with Winnipeg. I was pretty I shocked with sense. that. I th- but I th- yeah, it, it just based on the trajectory of the team, right. it does make sense. But uh, you know, if you ask me, as long as there is one man upstairs running the show there, they're still sitting at about a zero chance. Okay, but I think it depends. I, I think you... Vancouver, Vancouver being in that one slot is about fair. Uh, again, I'd probably still have Toronto ahead of them, but uh, Vancouver I think it is definitely up there. What you're, what you're looking at, because technically this year, the three most successful Canadian teams, like looking at how they did in the plans, was Vancouver, Montreal, Edmonton. Uh, right. Montreal beat Pittsburgh, obviously. Vancouver went on a run. Edmonton. Um, and Toronto lost instantly. Uh, Winnipeg completely. Uh, they had a brutal playoffs. No one talked. No one's really talking about Winnipeg and how how badly they failed this year. So I think if you're looking at this year and this year alone, basing it on how teams performed in the playoffs, that would be a perfectly fine list. I would probably have. Um, ter- I would probably have. I don't want to say I'd keep Vancouver first, but I think there's an argument to be made for having them first. Sure. Toronto definitely second. Um, Again, I think Montreal has more depth than Edmonton, but I think it depends on how Ken Holland shapes the team because, you know, after McDavid and Dreisaitl, you don't have much. And I would, I would take with the teams right now, I would, I would put more money on Montreal going on a run given the depth and goaltending they have than Edmonton, but it depends on the roster construction for Edmonton going forward. But I think I would th- probably throw uh, Vancouver, Toronto as one and two, and then Montreal probably uh, three or four, most likely four. Luke? Luke? I think I'm I'm pretty okay with Vancouver's percentage at 31. I bet you are. I it could be a bit higher, maybe like into the 80s or 90s, but 
Um, 31's okay. I would take some percents off of, um, sorry, now I have to remember it, off of uh, Montreal and Edmonton. And thank you, sorry. And put them <laughs> onto Toronto. Um, Toronto should definitely be higher. Montreal and Edmonton, I don't mind where they are, but I, there's no reason Toronto should be in that position relative to them. Take some percents off them, give them to Toronto. Toronto should probably be up around 30 as well and put Edmonton above Montreal by a little bit, maybe swap those. But the bottom three, I guess I'd put Ottawa on top, uh, but those three could really go either way. They're in a pretty... Uh, they're in a pretty key moment for you know the next 10 15 years of their franchise so I'd have imagined Winnipeg would be a bit higher I'm actually surprised that people put Calgary that low look Calgary's a team I thought was overrated for the past couple of years now but I thought that most fans perception of Calgary was a little bit more a little bit higher so but if you um, think about it because the way this would have been asked rank it one to seven so it's not saying Calgary has no chance like they're they're screwed for the next 10 years can you really argue, and I'm sure you can, but can you really argue Calgary sitting over Winnipeg? Um, Ottawa's a really interesting case just because of, you know, their trajectory. But can you really argue Calgary sitting above any of those teams? No, you're probably right. The only, again, it, de- it depends on what you're looking at because maybe Toronto at fourth is fair given how every single year we've seen them unable to compete in the playoffs, unable to get by Boston twice, three times, unable to get by the Washington Capitals. I know that was early on in their sort of rebuild, uh, unable to to beat the Columbus Blue Jackets despite Toronto probably actually, not probably, being a better team. And I think a mix of this are probably Leaf fans who are spiteful and those who have seen the success of Montreal and Vancouver. And I'm, I'm, I shouldn't even say success in Montreal's case because – when it came down to it, Montreal was able to do it and Toronto wasn't. So I think I wouldn't agree with it, but I understand why they're there. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, okay. I get it. I agree. Um, we talked about Winnipeg. Let's expand on uh, Winnipeg a little bit because there was a rumor about Patrick line. Elliot Freeman reports that line wants to play with Mark Shifley, but the organization doesn't want him to play there. Look, this was something that was talked about with Winnipeg last year before line signed his extension. And I remember we had to do a project actually and where I had to break line A's extension and the conversation after he, he signed it was that Winnipeg fans were fine. They were like, okay, I'm not too worried about that whole riff. Now, apparently there was an issue with Paul Maurice. This stuff seemed to be pushed behind. And this is the second, maybe even third time that it's being reported that there's some issue with who line A wants to play with the makeup of the Winnipeg jets forward group. Um, Maybe he doesn't want a long-term deal. I'm not sure what's going to happen. This seems like a really weird situation. I want to know your thoughts, and uh, we'll start with you, Nick. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting one. It seems like there has been some smoke there with Winnipeg and Line A for a while now. Um, there were some pretty heavy rumors that he was going to be traded last offseason before he signed the two-year extension, and then they are not so surprisingly back this season. Uh, I think Patrick Line definitely, and I think we can all agree, took some steps to at least try and improve his game because – uh, prior to this year, he was very, very one-dimensional. Give me the puck. I'm going to shoot the puck and score a lot of goals, which he did well to his credit. But uh, this year, at least, he tried to he, – he looked to be, when I watched him at least, a bit more creative and involved in the offensive zone while also trying a little bit just to tidy up his defensive duties, which I'm sure is always appreciated by the coaching staff. But 
I don't know. Winnipeg is a weird team. I don't know that trading Patrick Laine or moving on from him at some point is the smartest move here, but I think I, I'm usually a believer in where there's smoke, there's fire. And I believe when there's been this much conversation about moving him, like there has been for two summers now. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a weird situation. And I think this is ultimately going to end in divorce for the two of them. I think, well, first of all, as, um, as Winnipeg, like as, as Winnipeg fans, like Patrick said, they weren't upset about the contract. I don't see why you would be. That's a perfectly fine contract. No, it was perfect. Um, Bridge deal was absolutely what they should have gone for there. And, and I don't think they're necessarily in a, bad position with him um you have a year left he's he's still young he's still Patrick Line I think you, you don't need to choose now so I mean obviously your fans and you know you're gonna worry about it because that's what you do but but let let this next season happen whenever whenever it is and then and then make a decision he's still an RFA like I I just as as Winnipeg fans I wouldn't be too stressed out there's so much talk and I I'm not sure if we're gonna get to that today about you know, potential trade destinations for line a and, and what's going to happen. It's like, they're talking once he's no longer a Winnipeg jet. I'm just, I, I think there's just, there's, there's too much hype about it. Like let, let the kid play, let him have another year and then, you know, make, make the decision. Yeah. The thing for me is, and uh, Luke, I'm sure you have something to say on this. I, I always find it weird when a team commits to certain aspects of the roster in the off season is in. So it sounds like already Winnipeg and Paul Maurice and their management there have already doubled down on Patrick line. won't be playing with Shifley or won't be playing in a certain spot in the lineup yeah. before we've even had a training. Yeah, camp like there's no the reason season. to make that. I decision. always find that really, really weird because there's absolutely nothing to base that on right now, except for results. Who knows what Patrick line is going to show up like next training camp who knows what mark shifley is going to show up like maybe putting them together is ultimately going to click maybe they're right and it doesn't but making that decision before you have any proper data for the incoming season i always find it really strange and you know winnipeg is a weird team and they're going to have to make some decisions here because you know we just saw obviously canada and their fans don't seem overly confident in their ability to win a Stanley cup anytime soon, which is weird because it feels like just yesterday we were all talking about the Winnipeg jets being the young up and coming team of the Western conference. And it felt like they were just starting to peak a little bit, but now it seems like they're all all the way so far down low, like they are now. And they have, yeah, they had like two years where they were Canada's team. Yeah. um, And like, you know, now look, it's an expensive core and a, pretty mediocre roster i don't know patrick if you have some thoughts on the winnipeg roster and what they're gonna have to do there this offseason well i want to touch a little bit more on on line a because right now he is fifth on tsn's uh trade bait board um bigger names like max domi uh chris letang are 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 even later on the board so i'm not sure it seems weird and i like paul maurice as a coach but it seems weird to almost confirm and the fact that it's public that they don't want him playing with Shifley for no other reason but saying I don't want him to play with Shifley seems really weird look Patrick Laine struggled defensively he's always been that kind of player who is just goals only um 
36, 44, 30, 28 goals every single year. Obviously this, this was a little bit of a down year, but granted he only played 68 games. He hasn't played this many. He hasn't played a full season since 2018. So I think it's weird and I'm not really sure. I don't want to say it ruins his value, but it raises questions about Patrick Line as a player and also the Winnipeg Jets organization. The fact that this is the second year in a row after he signed his extension, he's an RFA in 2021 that this is being talked about. So I'm not sure what's going on there in Winnipeg. Um, I think there's a chance he gets moved. Um, I know Montreal has been linked to his name for quite some time. I'm not saying it happens, but that's definitely been talked about. It just seems weird. He was second overall in 2016. I think they should be trying their best to make it work because, you know, 40 goal scorers, I think he can score 50. I don't think those players are hard to come by. He's such a unique talent, right? And, you know, in a lot of ways, exactly what Winnipeg needs, like Winnipeg needs to fill the net. And while they've got a guy like Cal Connor that can do it debatably better than Lion A, and he has been at least the past couple of years, it's still no reason to move on. You can never have too many good goal scorers on a team. And Patrick Laine is one of the best pure goal scorers in the league. So I I find it so, so weird that the organization seems so, I don't know, hit and miss with him. It's where there's smoke, there's fire. I said it already. It's, I think this is inevitable that he's going to be moved. Do you think, all right, and we'll we'll get to that. And we were going to save this for another episode, but just for, for Laine specifically, because look, I just, one more thing I wanted to add was you're going to know how bad you messed up once he's gone. And once he's scoring goals for other teams, goal score, goal scoring wingers, like prolific goal scores are hard to find. You have that in Patrick line, especially with someone look, Blake Wheeler is 34. Um, Mark Shifley still 27. He's relatively long, but uh, you want to keep those younger players and you want to see what they can do. So I think it'd be a mistake if they move on from him, but just for the sake of it. And I'm putting you both on the spot here. Sorry. If you see line a going anywhere, where do you think he goes? 6.7 mil RFA in 2021. When are you, when are you saying he gets traded like now? Yeah. Yeah. Like assuming he gets traded now, I could see the New York Islanders being interested. I think they need definite goal scoring. I'm not sure what they have exactly left to give up because uh, their first rounder this year is obviously with the Ottawa senators. Um, they have a couple of good prospects in Dobson and Volstrom, uh, whose stock has actually fallen off a bit, but I could see the Islanders being a fit there just because they probably are going to look at some point to add somebody that can play with Barzal and score on his wing. And I think line a would be that guy. So I could see that being a potential fit. Luke, I know you hate hypotheticals, but I'm going to ask you anyway, if you think he's going anywhere, where do you think it's going to be this year? Montreal Canadians, perhaps I, fine with me i i I, like i don't i I don't see why not if i'm i'm now i'm saying i don't know if if that would happen you know mostly from winnipeg's position but if i'm montreal and there's an option there i don't see why you wouldn't take that uh you're you're no montreal's in a position to to kind of and it's not even a risk but to kind of take that that chance um again the, the contract is fine and I, I think he, he fits into to the direction Montreal is going perfectly. It gives, gives some more options on, on both wings, really. Um, I, I wouldn't be so, you know, I just, I, and this part is just kind of a hunch, you know, line a going to Montreal and just excelling. I could, I could see him doing very well. Uh, yeah. In a hab sweater. I mean, fine with me. I think line a would be so lucky to play with such a good center like Kakanyemi. Um, yeah. But anyway, yep. we'll, uh, 
but we'll talk about that because that that has been rumored. There's been <laughs> plenty of rumors. Montreal's an RFA and Max Domi um, with the Edmondson signing. People think Sherratt's on the move and he could go back to Winnipeg. There have been a lot of mock proposals I've seen all over Twitter about Line A. And Montreal needs a right winger. Look, Gallagher is, is a heck of a hockey player, but he's going to be an RFA next year. And he's going to want a lot of money. And after him, you don't really have much for Montreal. So really happy you said that, Luke. That made my day. Let's um, let's. I could see on. it. Hold on. Last point. I could see it, but it's not going to be for Sherratt and Domi. <laughs> No, I'm not saying I'm not that. saying it would be for I'm not saying Sherat and Domi is going to fetch you uh, line A. I'm saying those have been the names that Montreal are most. Yeah, no, no, I was I was I was being me. Okay, um, that would be cool though. Anyway, we're going to expand on Winnipeg a little bit because we have we have I feel like we haven't talked about Winnipeg. That's the team we haven't talked about enough. Not enough, but in our show, I feel like we don't really talk about them too much, and that's sort of their trajectory. We touched on it a little bit before about how they were the team when they went to the um, Eastern Conference final um, or Western Western Conference Conference final, final. sorry. And they were supposed to be the Canada's team. It wasn't Toronto. It wasn't Montreal. It wasn't Vancouver. It was Winnipeg. Now they're seen at the bottom of TSN's board. Um, They're, I still think they're better than what they did this year. Obviously that a bunch of injuries, especially on their back end. Um, Hellebuck was fantastic this year. And we're going to touch on that later. You have decent contracts. Wheeler, uh, four years, 8.25. Brian Little, I guess that's actually not the greatest contract. Uh, Josh Morrissey, um, you have 15 million in cap space for the Winnipeg Jets. Um, do you think there is a chance, we talked about moving line A, they move on from some of their older players? Or do you think they can still win uh, with the core they have now, uh, Nick? I can't see them moving a Wheeler or a Little for sure. Like, I think those guys are there to stay. Um, just given their age and the contract, while they are both, like, decent players, I can't see them getting the value back that they would want in those situations. And I just don't think it makes sense for them. Their cup window is now, but they are still far, far off that Stanley Cup, and they've climbed down a lot since that Western Conference final appearance. They really, for me need to address that defense like it was at one point this year like it, they had Vili Hanala who they drafted in the second round last yeah. year playing top pairing minutes because they quite frankly had nobody else Carl Dahlstrom who was a waiver pickup from the Chicago Blackhawks the worst defensive team in the league was immediately slotted into their lineup they had Lucas Sabiza back there and look Getting out of the Jacob Truba deal that New York gave him was definitely a positive for them. But I think I think Josh Morrissey's a decent defenseman, but I still think they overpay in terms of term and cash for him. I, again, they, they're committing to guys that have just been there for a long time. And that's that's their model. They want to keep guys there, which I'm fine with, but they need to do something to boost this team now because you've got a Vesna trophy winning goalie, you've got a good crop of forwards with Connor, Shifley, Wheeler, Lyonne. That's just to name a few. They need to do something now to address this team. And in terms of their underlines this year, they were really, really poor. And, you know, they were in the play-in and they fell flat. But the only reason they were there in the first place was because of Connor Hellebuck. I think for me, the first thing they need to do is make a coaching change. I know, Patrick, you said five minutes ago that you are a fan of Paul Maurice as a coach. I'm I don't not... mind him. I don't okay. I mind. I don't mind okay. him. I don't think he's. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think he's the answer right now. He's been there since 2014. He's one of the longest serving coaches in the NHL right now. I, if it was going to happen with Paul Maurice, I think it would have already happened. There's too many good coaches available right now where 
they shouldn't at least explore that idea. I think if they brought in Gerard Gallant tomorrow and replaced him, replaced Paul Maurice with him, I think they would be a better team starting next year. But I don't know. There's a lot of issues there, but for me, it mostly surrounds the defense and the coaching. Luke Burrows. Um, Winnipeg's like, Winnipeg is slash was a good team. And I will reiterate, you know, two years ago, uh, conference finals last year, I think they lost a, the eventual cup winner. And then this year, and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't put too much into not having a good year this year, especially in the playoffs. It's just, it's so wacky and different. Obviously there's some issues. Um, their bottom six needs to be figured out sooner than later. That's it's looking kind of rough. And some of their, like you said, Pat, some of their older, um, some of their older guys, the, the Wheeler, the uh, the Little, and also looking at, at Morrissey. I, I don't mind Morrissey's deal. It's it's probably a bit too long, but I don't think there's any glaring, uh, you know, glaring issues. They don't have the you know one or two players that that they that they need to figure out. I saw that face. Um, I think I think it's it's more of a it's more of just kind of a, a team, a system issue. And there's definitely going to be some changes. There's been, you know, both from speculation and from talks from the team themselves, something, something's going to happen. Um, and I, I don't really know what, what went wrong between 17, 18, 18, 19 to now. I, if I were, if I were managing that team, I would play out the next season and just kind of see what's going on because you have a lot there uh, and I'm, I'll reference Line A again. You have a lot there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't send Line A away, even for a good return now, because you're trying to fix your team. I, I don't know. I mean, it's you can't really wait around, but I would as much as you can. Okay, I would agree with you that they have a lot there, and I think, I think this year, it's unfair to just examine the Winnipeg Jets this year alone. This year was they were injured. Uh, defensively yeah that too I like, didn't even say that yeah, yeah like they were injured a lot and and I but I don't think there are any like holes for this team because there are like like defense is an issue I know people like Josh Morrissey um, but you look at Dylan DeMello Nathan Bolia who is terrible Lucas Spiza Dmitry Kulikov and Anthony uh, Batetto they're all UFAs this year all about 28 30 years old um, you have Sammy Niku who is an RFA and then you have two RFAs the year after the only defenseman you really have signed long-term is Josh Morrissey. So all of these guys are inked to contracts and five out of the six who are up next year are going to be UFAs and they could walk depending on how, it, how it goes. But I think defense is an issue for this team. Billy Hainola, like you said, look, he was picked 20th overall last year and you're, you're putting him into a situation. They need to get help on defense. I've, they've picked up, they picked up Joe Morrow for their playoff run, which was another was a depth pick. Nathan Beaulieu, another depth pick. Um, but they need a really strong defenseman. I know people like Josh Morrissey, but Josh Morrissey is not enough for the Winnipeg Jets. You need more. You need more than Neil Pionk. You need more than Carl Dahlstrom uh, and Tucker Pullman. These guys, it's fine. So I think I think defense is the issue. I, I would agree with you, though, Luke, uh, and I think you made a good point. Let's not move Lani too quickly, unless it's to Montreal, but let's not give up on someone, someone like that too quickly. Um, again, Blake Wheeler had a down year looking compared to other years. But again, this is just sort of a, a unique situation for Winnipeg. And I think um, it would just be wise to wait it out, see another year. Um, 
see how that goes before moving on for any of the big names. Uh, anything you want to add, Nick, or are we good to move on? I think we're good to move on. Okay. Yesterday, I've never seen this happen before uh, with a trade. There was supposedly a Pittsburgh and Florida trade in the works. Uh, Mike Matheson um, and Patrick Hornfist, I believe it was just one for one, um, but Pittsburgh couldn't get a hold of Patrick Hornfist to complete the trade. And um, at face value, you look at the trade, the two pieces that are being moved, this would be a, dis- not a, dis- yeah, yeah, a disaster. This would be a disaster for Jim Rutherford, someone who's already made a bunch of moves and definitely weakened the Pittsburgh Penguins roster and prospect pool. Um, so I'm not sure if this is going to go through, but if it were to go through, we're not even sure if it's still happening. There was so much talk about it yesterday from Pierre Lebrun. There's been virtually no update since, but if Pittsburgh trades Patrick Hornfist uh, for Mike Matheson, this is obviously a bad move. Um, what is Rutherford doing? Luke, what do you think? Well, first of all, I, um, I did see that it was an issue with unable to reach him, but I think, um, and Friedman reported, I think there was some, some legitimate issues regarding insurance and, yes. and whatnot. But regardless, uh, if I'm Hornquist, I, I, I'm not surprised that, that this trade would get vetoed just from his perspective, from a Pittsburgh management perspective. I don't know. Um, it's a, Look, I don't like Matheson for personal reasons, uh, but what there's the personal reasons. He like body slammed Pedersen in his rookie oh. year. Pedersen got injured yeah. twice in his rookie year. One was legit. One was this little kid Maybe. in Montreal. But um, I it's I I don't know for 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 both teams. It's I just don't see why this is a necessary trade. I doubt it goes through, um, and I you know I think. A lot, a lot of people in in Pittsburgh are going to be pretty pretty content about that. But I, it's just it's it's kind of a, a weird thing that happened. The way it was released was weird. I you know wouldn't read too much into it. I don't I don't have too much too much to to go on about about this trade. Okay, well, ex- excluding the trade, excluding whether or not it goes through, and but let's talk about the trade itself. If it were to happen, because I don't think this is. This seems to fit what Rutherford's been doing all offseason. I wouldn't put it past him to make this move. But let's talk about the move itself, hypothetically. If this were to go through, we all know Florida wins. But, Nick, I want to get your thoughts on on what this would mean for Pittsburgh and um, what this means for Jim Rutherford, because so far he has had a brutal offseason. Well, for those of you that can see, there's Matheson's uh, maps right there. It's not good. It's not pretty at all. I don't understand this deal for Pittsburgh. Uh, I understand why they're making it because Jim Rutherford's at the helm and they've, he's shown an inability in the past, despite the two Stanley cups to properly evaluate defensemen. He brought in Eric Goodbranson last year and was able to magically get out from under that deal and get rid of the bad trade that he, he made, but that he then responded by signing Jack Johnson, who's even worse to a long-term deal And now he's got Jack Johnson, but there's rumors that he might get moved out. Who knows? But he's now responding to that, and he's still looking at the left side of his D with Dumoulin there and Pedersen there. And is Marino on the left side? I can't remember who else it is. But you're going to bring in Mike Matheson, who's just – he's not good, and he's signed long-term on an expensive deal. 
And you're the Pittsburgh Penguins. Look, every single year, and we've said this so many times, and everybody knows it, they're going to try and win every single year that they have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. It's a foregone conclusion that they will be a, at least a playoff team every year while they still have these guys. And Jim Rutherford and the Pittsburgh Penguins owe it to Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin to at least try and build a team that's going to give them a chance to keep going for it every year. And when you make moves like this, where you're committing your cap in a long-term situation to players that are not good, you're going to get burned and you're going to suffer more embarrassing exits from the playoffs, like when they got swept by the Islanders two years ago and like when they got beat by the Montreal Canadiens this year. That's the reality of what's going on. If this move is made somewhat, there has to be a conversation with Jim Rutherford because you look at the contracts. Look, Mike Matheson is 26. He's making 4.8 mil until 2026 before he's a UFA, whereas Hornquist, I know he's older, making 5.3 just until 2023. Um, Look, Patrick Hornquist is definitely deteriorating and he's not the player he was before, but he's older, but he's still actually productive and he works He's still very useful. And he works well in their system. Mike Matheson... um, I wouldn't go as far. I know he's not a great player. I wouldn't go as far to say he's another Jack Johnson. Uh, Mike Matheson has some puck moving ability, but his contract's brutal. So I think um, looking at everything, every piece that Jim Rutherford has moved, if you move 15th overall, Hollander, Hornquist, and the only returns you get, excluding the, the minor secondary pieces, are Kaplan and Matheson, you should be fired. That that is that is brutal. It's um, a fireable offense. That all of those pieces, you you lost fifteenth, you lost Hollander, you lost Hornquist, and you get Kapanen and Matheson. That's not good. Kapanen, I think there's a chance. I think he'll play better in Pittsburgh. But even then, that's a third liner and a bottom four defenseman whose underlying numbers are pretty solid. And we can pull up here Dale Talon on the Mike yeah, Matheson it's contract. The, it's, the icon- it's the iconic quote. I, this is I such a Dale Talon thing. The quote on the extension was, we started at two years and went to four and went to six. And he said, what about eight? I want to be a Panther. And there you have it. So it doesn't make sense for Pittsburgh. I feel bad. And whoever his agent is, is a genius. Yeah. So um, (laughs) I I guess we'll wait and see if it still happens. But um, it's sort of a weird move. And look, both Dale Talon and uh, and, – Jim Rutherford is sort of in, or Jim Rutherford specifically is in a weird situation with the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's why I said two shows ago, it's not a bad thing if Pittsburgh takes a step back because look, they don't have a first round pick or a second round pick this year. They don't have a first round pick next year um, or a third and a fourth in 2021. Uh, you can only give up so many picks and young assets before you really start to struggle with older players and not much else to get. So um, we can okay. talk about this. I'll make one quick point just yep. from the other side. This is really good. If this goes through, this is going to be a really good first trade for Bill Zito in Florida. Yes. I think getting out from under a contract that was one of Dale Talon's biggest mistakes in the old regime on his first trade is a really good move. And I see Hornfist as somebody that can slot in on that power play and be effective with the Barkov and uh, Uberdo and sort of maybe replace some of the production that Hoffman and Dodonov, uh, assuming both are gone this offseason, are going to leave behind. So I think that's a it's a good first move for Bill Zito in Florida. Luke, anything else you want to add? Nope. Okay. All right. Let's uh, move on to uh, Nick's team. And I'm going to let Nick sort of take this segment over because he's a Sens fan, if you couldn't notice by the uh, background. More Sens news. And uh, Nick, I'll just hand it off to you. Yeah, there was a lot this week, which was kind of weird. Um 
some of it positive actually it's been it's been mostly positive in senators land after the announcement of the 2d logo and then the uh, senators announced that the canadian tire center would be used for covid testing in ottawa so it was weird to get couple of straight days of nice news. But then uh, Pierre Dorian broke his silence this week. He actually had not spoken to the media since the end of June. And that was starting to get a bit weird, seeing as how the hockey team is two weeks up from arguably the biggest draft in franchise history. Uh, a defining off season for them, definitely. But he did break his silence. Um, just a few quick notes. So Craig Anderson is not going to be returning to Ottawa next season. This isn't surprising. Uh, Craig Anderson is 39 years old and quite frankly at this juncture of his career just doesn't make sense for the Ottawa Senators but uh, it is worth noting that he most definitely is the best goaltender in Senators history 202 wins by far the most uh, in team history and I think definitely you guys being from outside the Ottawa market uh, would definitely remember him in his time in Ottawa for that 2016-17 run and uh, while he battled with the Senators to get to the conference final while his wife, Nicole battled cancer. So uh, kudos to Craig Anderson for 10 years in Ottawa and great career for him. Uh, if that's truly it, I hope he gets another shot with somebody, but if it's the end, uh, good for him. Pierre Dorian did tip his hand a bit and I'm sure Patrick will have some thoughts on this uh, with regards to the team's draft plans. He did essentially confirm in a quote that he, he and the team see a top three a consensus top three in this draft and that they will be drafting whoever the Los Angeles Kings and New York Rangers leave behind. Patrick, are you surprised by that at all? Or uh, is this the absolute correct move? Assuming the top three he's referring to are Alexi Lafreniere, Quentin Byfield and Tim Stutzla. I mean, if, okay, well, this is sort of more my personal opinion, but I have Tim Stutzel out of my top four, maybe even my top five. Um, I don't know if that's a hot take, but I think that makes sense. Of course, he's going to say that, but if I'm Ottawa, I'm not looking at Tim Stutzel. I'm looking at Quinton Byfield. And I think there's a very strong chance that, um, that the LA Kings go with Tim Stutzel and Quinton Byfield falls to Ottawa. If not, and it's between, because Lafreniere, we can write that off. And let's say Byfield's gone. If it's between Stutzel and Raymond, I'm taking Raymond every day of the week. And I think Ottawa should look to do that. I know we don't talk about prospects for the most part, but if the consensus is, and that seems to be on the majority of draft boards, uh, Lafreniere, Byfield, Stutzel, um, I don't think you take Stutzel at three. I don't, not that it'd be a bad move. They're all fantastic players, but Raymond is the guy that I'd be looking at for Ottawa. Even um, if the Kings go with Byfield at two and assuming the Senators then take Stutzel at three, I, I think based on how you rank, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this in one of the episodes prior to the draft in a couple of weeks, uh, based on your rankings, Pat, they probably still could end up with uh, Lucas Raymond at five, right? Again, that's it depends because look, prior to the SHL preseason, Lucas Raymond was someone who a lot of people had from the five to eight. I've seen some people have him even at 10, but now that he's really starting to heat up in Frolunda, um, in the SHL, people are starting to realize, okay, you know what? this guy is actually a big deal. And it goes back to what we talked about before. And that's how much people overvalue the world juniors. Like the world juniors is a fun tournament, but if you're using a, a two week period of time to decide whether a prospect is good or not, then you should probably evaluate a little bit differently. And we saw with Tim Stutzel, this guy is getting Patrick Kane comparisons. I love Patrick Kane. I love the way Tim Stutzel plays. I wouldn't draw those comparisons too soon, especially, um, especially since he's so young, we don't, we Tim Stutzel can be, can become his own thing. And I think, yeah, it is possible for him to be available at five, but I think honestly, the 
best scenario for the Ottawa Senators specifically in this draft is if the LA Kings go Tim Stutzel, because we've seen that as a rumor as well. And Ottawa takes Byfield at three. I think Perfetti is gone by four. And then Lucas Raymond is available at five. I think that's the best case scenario, but I think the consensus, and this is like every draft, I don't think the consensus among GMs or uh, rankings are always correct. And I think that there are a lot of uh, good players from the three to eight range that Ottawa could look at uh, like Lucas Raymond, for example. So wouldn't be bad to get Stutzel, but I think Sens fans in the long run would be happier with Raymond. And last draft note for the Senators, uh, Haley Salvi and the Athletic did ask him directly about one player, uh, that being Jake Sanderson, who is playing at the University of North Dakota next year, alongside Jacob Bernard Docker, Senators' first-round pick from just a couple of years ago. And Pierre Dorian did mention he is intrigued by the fact that the two are playing together there, and it is something that they're definitely going to watch. Pat, Right now, on the surface of it, Jake Sanderson, probably a reach at five, seems to be the suggestion from a lot of people. Yeah, so look, Jake Sanderson is a player who a lot of people had 15 to 20 range early on. Uh, I'd say in April when when rankings were starting to become, were shared more. And I think a lot of people crept him up closer to the top 10 because this draft is so, is so forward heavy. But I think the dislike for Jake Sanderson uh, was exaggerated a little bit too much to the point where it became a meme and it became unwarranted. Jake Sanderson is an excellent defenseman. I think he's better defensively than Jamie Drysdale. I think, no, he's not a prolific offensive uh, driver like Drysdale is, but I don't think the gap between those two is that is, is as big as everyone's suggesting. So what is it a reach at five? Probably. And I think if you, if you're Ottawa, you look at getting um, uh, one or two of uh, Byfield Stutzel Raymond Stutzel, Raymond, Raymond uh, Byfield, however, whatever order you want to you want to put it in. But if Ottawa does make this move at five, yes, it's a reach, but I wouldn't be overly upset, especially if you get someone like Byfield at three and you're adding your defenseman. That's not that it's not worthy to be that upset about. And it strengthens Probably and already, makes you a bit more able to take a swing at who you want to at five. Exactly. And then and then you have you have assets on defense. You have. Bernard Docker, you have Brandstrom, you have Shabbat, you add Sanderson, you add your winger in Kachuk, your center in, in in Byfield, and it's fine. I don't think it's the move they should do, especially since I think their defense is fine, especially going forward. But I think uh, with regards to Jake Sanderson, this sort of dislike for his game and the fact that he's a black hole offensive year, anything people are saying has become exaggerated. And it's almost, honestly become a joke at this point, how how much slander he's received because he is a really, a really strong defenseman. I just think... Uh, he's crept up a bit too much uh, in, in certain rankings. So that's my yeah, thought. We, do, we that. do see it too often in the draft. Unfortunately, a lot of players, you know, get disrespected to the point where it is completely unwarranted, but I guess yeah. we'll see in a couple of weeks, more draft talk, definitely going to come up soon. But uh, last Senator's note is that they will not be naming a captain this season. That was confirmed by the head coach, DJ Smith. Uh, if you ask me correct move here, obviously Thomas Shabbat and Brady Kachuk uh, to everybody inside the market and outside of it, definitely, seem like the two front runners there, but probably a good move as you do not want to throw too much pressure on one of these young stars uh, when this team is likely still not going to be very good at all next season, but I, I definitely wait. do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's fair to expect them to do it in two years from now. I think that's a bit more. Yeah. That's sort of like, it depends how premature you're willing to give the captaincy to someone. And I don't know if Luke, you have anything to add on this, but I think in Ottawa's case, you want to establish the direction the team is going before you throw the captaincy at someone. You don't want it to flip too early or too late. Um, 
I think Toronto did a good job at waiting uh, until after signing Tavares and having, I guess, a window established. I don't think it should have gone to Tavares per se, but I think in Ottawa's case, they should wait. Uh, Luke, if you had anything to add on, on Ottawa's captaincy situation. Shabbat is the only guy I would consider, to be honest. Um, Interesting. That, Why is that? I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm not claiming to have a better understanding than you, but I just wouldn't, I, I wouldn't give a C to Kachuk if, no. if I'm being no, honest. I, I, it, interestingly enough, and I'll, I'll go on this quick. I, I actually do agree with you. While I absolutely love Brady Kachuk and the energy that he seems to bring on the ice and for the entire team, I, Brady Kachuk's an extraordinary player and I could sit here literally for a two hour show and talk about how much I love Brady Kachuk. But to me, I still think Shabbat's level-headedness is a bit more of what the Senators need. Um, Kachuk, while he does definitely play on an edge, and we all know that, that has shown the capability of going over the edge from time to time, uh, like this year late in a game when the Senators were trying to tie a game versus the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, Kachuk got pissed off towards the end of the game with 20 seconds left and attacked Scott Lawton, putting his team shorthanded and costing them the game essentially. You know, Kachuk has shown the tendency to do that from time to time. And, you know, perhaps Shabbat's level-headedness would gel with the team a bit better. But ultimately, I don't think there's a wrong decision that can be made there. Both of them definitely do possess the leadership capabilities that the yeah. team needs. I think their leadership is different. I think Shabbat's a little bit more humbled. And from what I've said, the, the few interviews I've seen from him, he seems like a, like a, I don't want to say a character guy, I hate cliches, but um, he seems fine. Kachuk, I think would be fine if he got, if he got an assistant captain, but again, for Ottawa and, and Ottawa's sake and, and the way the team is going, the way they're rebuilding, I don't think, I think it'd be a mistake to, to rush that right now. Wait till the draft picks come in from this year, wait at least two years before you make that decision. Maybe I know one year, this was kind of weird. Montreal did four assistant captains um, or only giving people A's. That's something that you can do with a fairly younger team. Like Vancouver Ottawa did that for a few years. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I think that's fine. Um, yeah. If we're talking, if, if only this was a couple of years, if this was happening when Anderson was a few years younger, I would argue, and I hate giving goalies captains, but I think without giving him a C, a real captain of that team would be Craig Anderson with the leadership. Yeah, definitely for sure. And that's so, one thing that they're definitely going to miss with him was that leadership he brought as a, uh, as the elder statesman of the team, the only surviving Senator now from the previous regime is Bobby Ryan with Mark Borowiecki yeah. on the way out too. It's unbelievable. So I th think that's it as far that's as that's it on senators. Senators yeah. notes go. I let's don't have talk... to talk about the Sens anymore. Okay. Let's uh, let's talk about Alex Petrangelo. Um, he's basically confirmed to be going to the market at this point. The blues are having trouble uh, structuring any sort of deal, um, especially like paying bonuses up front. Um, this is sort of, I had a feeling he would test the market. I don't think it would be confirmed so soon that they're not coming to an agreement. But again, we see so much with, with heavy contracts that so much of the money actually comes from signing bonuses. Do you think that this is going to become a reality for free agents looking for a big deal in free agency, especially uh, with given COVID-19 and everything that's happening? Nick, we can start with you. I definitely think it is because I think the NHL, like essentially any sport in North America and across the world is like the, the cap is staying flat at a one and a half million for the foreseeable future. And I think, you know, structuring a deal is going to become harder for teams because they're not getting that gate revenue that they usually do. It's tough because, you know, Alex Petrangelo is definitely worthy of that big payday that he's going to get, but it's going to be harder for teams to structure those deals. I think, we're going to see less and less now of those big upfront loaded deals 
in the NHL, just because, you know, simply not right now, at least in the immediate future, teams can't afford to do that because they don't get that gate revenue. That's such a big part of owners. I know Gary Bettman in his own uh, press conference this week did come out and say that the NHL ownership group is as strong as it ever has been. I think that's just good PR from Bettman. But at the end of the day, there are financial implications to the COVID-19 pandemic that the NHL is not exempt from. And I think to a different degree, it's going to have to change again, how contracts are being issued, what their structures are and everything in between. Short term for sure. I would agree. Um, like it's, it's obvious like across in any, in any sports league right now, there's definitely going to be some changes when it comes to, when it comes to stuff like that. But I think, I think those changes are going to be felt on both sides. I don't think, I don't think it's just like, the teams that are going to get hit and the players can, can still have the same expectations. So the next, next few years are going to be interesting to see what happens, um, especially in the NHL with the, um, with the cap, the way it is for, for the foreseeable future. So I don't know, like, I, I think eventually it'll, it'll kind of come back down as, as anything in, in this regards does, but it'll be, uh, and, and I think that um, the Petra Petrangelo, um deal will will kind of be a good tell at 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 how yeah, things are going to go yeah. for the next little bit. So it, it'll be interesting in terms of actual hockey context. Um I wouldn't I wouldn't write off St. Louis totally yet. Uh I know they 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 basically told him go to free agency, but I you know, I think when he kind of tests the market, he might he might realize well well, that's just how it is now. It's not maybe right. not just you know, uh, isolated to St. Louis. So it'll it'll be interesting for sure. Well, we t- we talked a little bit about how the other leagues have struggled, and look, we look at soccer clubs in England who are apparently um, having record losses and seeking government help. You look at a league like the CFL. Um, this could very well be the end of the CFL. And I'm not obviously I'm not saying that can happen for the NHL, but we don't know, especially how long this pandemic goes. Do you think it's going to get to a point where the NHL might need government help? They might need some sort of bailout. They might need some sort of financial assistance. Do you look at teams that don't have a lot of money, a team like Carolina, a team like Florida, um, obviously bigger markets are fine, but if this continues, which it obviously will, those big markets are going to struggle. Do you think it can get to that point where the NHL is really struggling? Uh, it definitely it definitely could i think there's going to be some ownership changes that have to come for this you know i'm going to point to ottawa again we've seen the senders and this came out last week that they were not paying their coaches their full salaries up until the nhl got involved and forced eugene melnick to do so last week i can't see with the spending decisions they've already made in the past how the ottawa senators will not at least be impacted in some way by this uh, pandemic and you look at teams like you said Patrick the Carolinas and the Arizonas and the Floridas of the league that on paper at least are even it already in even more financial trouble than the Senators right how they will survive this sort of change I think it's that this pandemic has affected the world obviously we all know that but I think we've yet to see how it's really truly going to impact the NHL's business Luke anything to add no, not really. I think, yeah, Nick, Nick covered that pretty well. I, 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 I don't know if, if they're going to get to a point where, where, where teams are kind of going to be panicking uh, and struggling to it, to a degree where they need, where they need 
like high levels of external help, but there's definitely going to be a lot of changes in terms of ownership and stuff like that. So it's, it's going to be a a tumultuous next few years for sure. And that's the thing we're seeing now ratings for this Stanley cup final. We talked about it a couple, about a week ago are as low as, or almost as low as Ottawa and Anaheim back in 2006, was that 2006? 2007. Um, And in part, I think we can put some blame on the NHL. The NHL does not market, uh, events properly i've seen no marketing for the nhl draft that is just less than two weeks away what channel is it on what channel is it on i don't know i don't know or is it sportsnet i have no idea luke Luke would know that because he works there but like we're seeing we're seeing they rarely do marketing for winter classic or heritage classic they don't market the nhl draft they've i don't think they've marketed the nhl playoffs enough so we can talk about how how teams and leagues are going to struggle but you have to put some blame on the nhl they don't market things well. They, I haven't like. Have you guys seen anything on NHL's Instagram or or Twitter or NHL on NBC or anything really? That's that's talked about the draft. I don't know how it's going to be. I know obviously it won't be anywhere. It'll be it'll be remote like the uh, or it'll all be from home like the NFL draft. I'm assuming, but we've we've heard no no conversation about it. Is it going? Are they going to do Zoom calls with the players? We don't have an idea. No so, information. Yeah. So I think the NHL, like the blame is on them a little bit. And I know Luke knew it'd be on Sportsnet, but like for people who are, who are still trying to follow along, they haven't done a great job. So uh, did you want to, if I I can, if I can say something to that, um, I think, I think a big reason of of how it's going to be produced, they're definitely, they're definitely working on that. Um, And they're like, it's not going to be an easy thing, obviously, but, but there are, absolutely discussions and and i think unfortunately it's gonna kind of result in in just zoom calls and not having anyone anywhere right. physically but but like for the for the time being it's it's going to be essentially very similar to um you know nfl and i'm trying to think something not a draft something recently but it, it's all it's all going to be kind of similar to what's been what's been happening in terms of non-actual sports and I, I think that's fine. I think we all expected it to be sort of the way the NFL did it. You'll have webcams and rooms and, and interviews through Zoom, and that's fine. But even even just something as simple as the NHL posting an interview with Alexi Lafreniere, quickly, hey, draft is two weeks away. What are your thoughts going into it? Quinton Byfield, you know, these players are at home. These players aren't busy. Well, they're busy training, obviously, but they have the time. It's, you know, stuff like that. I think we all expected it to be the same way the NFL would do it, but um, – Oh, here are here are Quinton Byfield's thoughts going ahead to the to the 2020 NHL draft. How it's going to be different, how it's going to change for him, and I think um, the NHL could do a better job on that. But let's circle back to Alex Petrangelo here because, as far as we know, the two teams um, kicking tires on him would be the Toronto Maple Leafs um, and the Vegas Golden Knights. We also put Boston and Colorado in here, but I think the main two are the Vegas Golden Knights and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, where do you guys think he's going to go? And I'll start with you, Nick. I seriously don't know how either of those two could make it financially work without a lot of other movement. This is going to be a crazy offseason. We already know that. The Leafs and the Golden Knights are going to have to make a number of moves uh, financially if they're going to be able to make it work. I think, I, I think Boston makes more sense. I know they're in just as much cap trouble, but they do have Krug and Chara seemingly on the way out. And DeBrusque is the only major RFA there. I think with a bit of creativity, they could make that work almost, which would be crazy because, you know, adding Petrangelo, this good core in Boston, uh, 
would really push them back towards uh, that Stanley Cup type uh, group. I think the Colorado Colorado Avalanche for me are the wild card here. They have the cap space. They have the young core. They're going to be good for a long time. And for me, I think they're really going to put an effort in to sign Alex Petrangelo. And I think that would be unbelievable if they were able to do that. If they had a defense core with uh, Kiel McCarr and Alex Petrangelo, I think that would be unbelievable. I, I like, and I'll, I'll speak to Toronto and Boston specifically. Um, Cause I think Boston is a lot more uh, realistic and it's, again, it's hard to kind of, it's hard to tell. Is there, is there actual, um, legitimate talks about about him coming to Toronto or is it Toronto media but I think I think in terms of Boston I it totally could happen and it wouldn't be a you know a terrible a terrible move I just I, is it necessary I don't know and that's Toronto? that's where no sorry Boston okay and that's where I would kind of hesitate um in Boston has some decisions to make with Krug and we, we talked about that a few shows back about what Boston's going to do with their with their defense I, if, if they make it happen without, without kind of um, creating any other holes, not only on defense, but, you know, in forward or wherever, then yeah, obviously not against it. He's a, he's an all-star defenseman, but I just, I just don't know if, if that's necessary for them. But that being said, I don't really have any other, any other better, better options right now that I would, I would consider if I were, if I were in his shoes or whatever. So I'll ask you both, what do you think the, where do you think, and we'll exclude St. Louis for this one, because I do think it would make sense for him to resign there. What do you think is the best case scenario and the best location for him to go, uh, excluding excluding money, excluding taxes, but just a team that he would fit the best on and he would help that team win a cup as soon as next year or the year after? It's still St. Louis for me. I think, I think there's still a good chance that they get something done there, but I, I'm still going to stick with Colorado for that. I think truly that one would make the most sense for both parties. Like, are, are you asking, excluding, excluding money, money? It does, I'm not talking about cap it. I'm not talking about taxes. I'm not talking about any of that. Uh, I'm not talking about term, but a team okay, well, where Petrangelo talk- joined, they would, they would not win a cup, but they would have the best chance at winning a cup, whether it's Toronto, whether it's Vegas, whether it's Boston, Colorado, yeah, talking team- about teams that, that could use that, you know, are, are in a position where they need defense um, Toronto for sure. Vancouver for sure. Um, but not about, I, okay. But I'm not saying teams that need defense. I'm saying teams that he goes to, they can have a strong defense or a weak defense. Cause I know, but Toronto needs defense more than Vegas, but I think Vegas is more of a powerhouse with Petrangelo than, than Toronto is. I, I'm not really sure what you're asking because, because obviously wherever he goes, it's going to make that team better. And I'm saying which team would he improve the most? I'm saying it's the teams that are are struggling with their defense right now. Toronto, okay. Vancouver, it'd okay. be really interesting if we went to Colorado. And that being said, I don't think he needs to go to Boston. It, it doesn't make sense for Boston. Okay. Obviously, I wouldn't say no if I'm Boston and it makes sense and it works okay. out. But um, yeah, there's a number of teams. Obviously, if, if, he, if he goes to uh, a Vegas, you know, one of those teams... Yeah, they're gonna be they're gonna be real good. They're gonna be better than they are now. But from a team team standpoint, there are a lot of other other teams that could could use them if that's what you're asking. Okay, that makes sense. I probably worded that question a little bit um, odd. I think um, 
from what I've seen as far as rumors go, it seems like the only legitimate ones I've seen have actually been to uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. I haven't seen anything official from LeBron or any of the big insiders saying that Toronto has met with him or Toronto's looking to talk to them. I know that's the expectations as is any big free agent to go to Toronto or Montreal or any of the big markets, but we'll see what happens there. I'm excited to see where he goes. I do think it would make sense um, for him to stay in St. Louis, but the fact that they haven't been able to reach a deal yet um, leads for interesting conversation, but let's move on from, from rumors and stuff like that. Unless Nick has anything else to add and let's talk about the NHL. I'm good. Okay. Let's talk about the NHL awards because they announced the five big ones on Monday, the heart, the Calder, the Vesna the Ted Lindsay and the Norris. And I don't, I, we should have wrote down our picks. I know we didn't, but um, I know I got one of them. I think I got two of them. I got, I got some, right. Which is, which is all that really matters. So let's talk about the one that's the most controversial. That is the heart trophy. That one went to Leon Dreisaitl. I disagree. I'm pretty sure Nick disagrees. I'm pretty sure Luke disagrees. Um, your thoughts on, on, on this move. Um, Luke, we'll go to you. Obviously, it should have gone to Panarin. I is everybody here Panarin? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Like again, <laughs> based on the definition of the award, and I am almost getting sick of saying this. It should have gone to Panarin. Yep. Uh, dry settle, and I'll say the same for when we get to Ted Lindsay. Phenomenal player, but is he the most valuable player to his team? No, that's impossible when you're playing with Connor McDavid. So. Yep, I, I, I would agree. I've been saying Panarin since early on this year and how how bad uh, and below average the New York Rangers are when he is not on the ice and how how much he contributes to goals for that team, how he's actually solid defensively, how the he's been playing with Strom and, and Bujnevich and all these guys while Dreisaitl is playing with Nugent Hopkins and McDavid. Panarin carried that team and, and he, he basically put them on their back and I think he should have won the heart. I know Nick agrees if you want to add anything else to that. Yeah, I, at the end of the day, Leon Dreisaitl, not to take anything away from him, had an extraordinary season offensively. But, you know, I, this is a thing that the analytics community has raised a lot, and it's something that's still being heavily debated is, you know, Leon Dreisaitl was not good defensively. In fact, he was really bad in his own zone. And defense, to me, and I agree with it, has to matter at some point in these awards. Leon Dreisaitl, I still don't think was the most valuable player on the Oilers. I agree with Luke. It's always going to be McDavid. But in looking at just debunking Dreisaitl and hit on his own, while he was extraordinarily offensively, he led the league in points. Again, the Oilers were still outplayed a lot of the time he was on the ice, and they gave up a lot of goals when he was on the ice. Defense to me still has to matter here. And like Patrick said, Panarin was still solid in his own zone and he carried the Rangers on his back through so many points this season. And, you know, I think he would have been the more deserving winner of this award. And again, in in the wake of the Edmondson trade and and this and the Couturier and the Selkie and all this stuff, it's led to some, uh, to more, it's almost like the analytics debate has sparked again on Twitter when it seemed to have died down, especially the last couple of years. And someone like Don Lushizen, Lushizen, I have a hard time saying his name, who writes for The Athletic, um, I don't want to say was bullied on Twitter, but he took a lot of heat for his value. And he, he tweeted, it was a very deft, really, really tough decision that came down to the wire, but in a stacked field of options, I opted not to include Dreisaitl for the heart, John Carlson for the Norris, or Sean Gutierrez for the Selkie on my awards ballot. Here's why it comes down to defense. It's on the athletic. For those who have the athletic, I really suggest reading it. It's a really interesting piece. And I think Nick said it perfectly. 
defense has to matter at a certain point. John Carlson's not the strongest defensively in his own end. And um, we'll get to the Norris later on. But I think, uh, again, this, you know, dry settle, I, and we'll talk about the Lindsay. We can jump to that now. Dry settle won the Ted Lindsay. Was he the most outstanding player? I don't think so. Do you guys agree? No, again, I think Artemi Panarin would have been a very worthy choice. I think Nathan McKinnon rightfully had his head in that conversation as well. Yep. But uh, again, we're rewarding the guy who had the most points. Yep. Um, I don't want to touch too much on on Leon Dreisaitl. Not to take anything, and this is the problem when we do these sort of awards, we have these conversations, is any form of criticism or disagreement as seen as a dislike for the player or how they play. Leon Dreisaitl is a fantastic hockey player. He's a fun hockey player. He's an excellent goal scorer, and, and he'll be good for the Oilers for a long time. But saying he isn't deserving of an award is not personal and is not anything uh, – against him as, as a player or a person. Yeah, I know. I, I love Leon Dreisaitl. Just yeah. That gets conflated with, with this sort of discussion. So we'll move on quickly to the Calder. Um, Luke, do you want to tell us who won the uh, Calder trophy? Look, I don't, I don't actually care. <laughs> oh, he cares. Uh, Luke's so mad about who it. Who won the Calder. The thing like, do I think Quinn Hughes should have won it? Yes. Am I surprised Kale McCarr won it? No. Am I upset Kale McCarr won it? No. Both of them are phenomenal defensemen. Oh, you're so bitter. In the way I, I do think so Hughes should have won it. I think there's a yeah. lot to Hughes' game that goes unnoticed to either people outside of the Vancouver market or people that aren't really, really into into um, into hockey, I guess, because he kind of he kind of dominated dominated that discussion for most of the year. Um, McCarr's injury, I guess, didn't help that, but I. I, ju- I think there's just so much that that he does that doesn't get talked about. Um, not not to take anything away from Makar, I just I think I think Hughes is better, and I think Hughes will be better uh, in the next twenty years. I'll jump in just because I know Nick has a different uh, Calder pick than than me. I had Quinn Hughes for my Calder, and again, not to take away, and I hate player comparisons, I also but had Quinn Hughes. By the way, oh, I thought you, oh, I thought you, you were had Adam Fox. I thought you had Adam Fox. Oh, sorry. I was Adam Fox, wasn't I? I was okay, Adam that's Fox. Why, that's that's why I wanted right. to jump in because, look, they both had really strong years, and I'm we're so fortunate to to have Heiskanen and Darlene and Makar and Hughes coming in, and it's going to be a really exciting age of, of defensemen. But you look at statistically, Makar led Hughes in actual goals for, but that makes sense because he was getting a lot of puck luck and he was on a stronger team with – higher offensive output but defensively Hughes um, suppresses more shots at a higher rate than Makar and um, overall I thought Hughes was the better player again not to take anything from Makar but I thought Hughes should have won it but um, again no matter what no matter who would have won this whether it's Makar Hughes the NHL would have been accused of doing it poorly and, and people would have been upset so um, Nick your thoughts yeah uh, if I had to choose between the two sorry that's where I got confused there I thought it you guys were insinuating that I would choose Makar over Hughes. Uh, I wouldn't, I would still, if I had to choose between the two, like out of the three that were nominated, I definitely would have gone with Quinn Hughes as well. I think uh, he's just as good as a player as Kel Makar, if not better. Um, You know, Dominic Kubelik didn't stand a chance in this award, uh, but he also had a remarkable uh, rookie season. But at the end of the day, I think Quinn Hughes would have been very worthy of victory here. I think, Kel McCarr's play is sort of buoyed by the fact that he plays on such a good team in Colorado and would definitely 
the point production would definitely be a bit more down. Whereas I think Quinn Hughes is more of an offensive driving force for the Canucks and definitely took them to a different level. And you can see that in their performance from last season compared to this one. So I probably would have still gone with Quinn Hughes. Although, uh, like you said, Patrick, I would have gone with Adam Fox over both of them. Yeah, I think Adam Fox deserved a third-place ballot more than um, Dominic Kubelik. Not, not yeah, to take anything from sure. him because he had a great season. But um, move on to the Vesna, and I think the NHL got this right of Connor Hellebuck. I don't know any goalie who played better than him. I think I had a Hellebuck. I think we all had Hellebuck on our ballot, didn't we? Yep. Yep. So, um, and I think that's a fine pick. I hope we have nothing else to add. We can jump to the Norris. Yes, which did have was... a really good season. I wouldn't have been surprised, just saying. But... Who had a good season? Tuka Rask. Rask. Oh, sorry. I didn't hear. Yeah, Rask had another good season, but the way Hellebuck played and the amount of shutouts he had, given the injuries and given how bad um, the Winnipeg Jets struggled, especially compared to the Boston Bruins, it makes sense. Uh, the Norris, and this is one I thought the NHL nailed, Roman Yossi. I think looking back at the episode, I had Roman Yossi as my Norris pick. I know people had John Carlson, uh, Petrangelo was someone that was mentioned in there. I think this is a fantastic pick. What Nick, what do you think? Uh, I picked Petrangelo. That was my pick uh, back when we did our award show on the podcast segment when our show was that. But uh, I think Roman Yossi is uh, worthy. He had a great year. Shout out to Sean Simpson from TSN for telling me I was waking and baking when I said that I thought Eric Carlson was better than Roman Yossi. I still do, but... Roman Yossi, uh, definitely worthy of the Norris Trophy this year. He was excellent for Nashville. Nashville struggled uh, so much more this year compared to past years. But Roman Yossi, I think, definitely hit a different level. He was almost a completely different player from what we've seen before. He always had that reputation of being a smooth skating, smart offensive player. But I think this year he actually was a good driving force offensively and was also really, really good in his own end. Uh, Luke, I don't know if you have any thoughts on Roman Yossi, but I would say he's still definitely a deserving winner this year. Well, he was excellent. The thing is, like, I'm not – Yossi totally deserved it, absolutely. But but based on how the NHL has given out this award over as long as I've been watching, it should have gone to Carlson. Not to say Carlson was the best defenseman in the league – but, but just just how how this award is given out, I I don't see how Carlson didn't get it. He had a a heck of a season, and I'll bring up you know that first half again. Um, he was he was leading the league in points, the league in points for for a a good chunk of of the first bit of the season. I don't remember exactly how much, but the Norris is always given out for generally the most offensively productive defense. I would assume most people would maybe not agree on that based off your reaction there, but he, I, he definitely cooled off. Like, I think I, I yeah. think he, if, if the award was voted on at the halfway point of the season, I think John Carlson wins just because that point production is so hard to ignore at that point. But like I was did he cool to, off enough. He for to, sure did. Yeah, really? Okay. I think so. It, because at the end of the day with Yossi after everything, I think it was only about a 10 point difference between the two, but yeah, I, like yeah. I was getting to with Dreisaitl, I still think defensive play really, really matters when you're giving out an award. And I think that 10-point difference is irrelevant when you look at the defensive play of Roman Yossi compared to John Carlson this year. Roman Yossi was a lot stronger in his own end. Not to say Roman Yossi is a brilliant shutdown defenseman, but he's a lot stronger in his own end than John Carlson is. That's why I'm almost happy to see 
I I might disagree with it, but I'm I'm almost happy to see Yossi win it over Carlson because that means okay, maybe they're not just they're not just throwing it at the guy who scored the most goals. So for for what I think the award should be, yeah, I'm I'm good with Yossi, but for what it's been, I'm surprised yeah. Carlson didn't get it. I agree completely. I think looking at and looking at impact on the ice, especially in defensive end, Yossi struggled a lot defensively the past couple of years. Uh, he has his throughout his end. entire career. Yeah, but but this year, what this year, given how strange of a season Nashville actually had, and how they underperformed in a lot of ways, Roman Yossi was the only constant. And if you look at his on ice goal differential, it was much better than than John Carlson's. The Washington Capitals scored just about the same goals with him on the ice as they did with him off the ice, whereas Roman Yossi. Uh, Nashville struggled a lot when he wasn't on the ice offensively and defensively. So I think it's a great pick and hopefully the NHL sort of shifts towards giving it to players who are actually good defensively and offensively and not just the defenseman who puts up the most points. For sure. Um, so, okay. Yeah. Nick, are you we take done it. with awards then? The awards news. So, so uh, on tomorrow's show, we're actually, we've come up with, I think, 10 of our own award categories uh, that are not actual NHL awards. It's the uh, first annual Take to Take Awards. That'll be tomorrow's show at 7 p.m. I don't know if we have a better name than the Take to Take Awards. I was sort of going with the not award NHL awards or something, but... Awards that uh, should be NHL awards, but aren't. Well, I guess never mind because you couldn't. Yeah, we, we've got we've got one <laughs> called WTF moment of the season. I don't I don't know if the <laughs> NHL is gonna come fighting at our doors for the worst to that signing trophy. of the season. Or, yeah. <laughs> or here here comes uh, biggest disappointment. Biggest Did you your award. <laughs> yeah, we we've got a worst signing in there. I I couldn't even begin to imagine yeah, worst the worst NHL award show in Vegas. <laughs> the NHL award show in Vegas, and here are your worst signings, and they pan the cameras to the guys. Oh man, I couldn't. But uh, yeah, so if you if you found any of what we just said in the past fifteen seconds funny, you're definitely not going to want to miss tomorrow's show. But yes. for now, we're going to wrap it up on the much less exciting but still exciting. Uh, we talked about it before the TSN trade board came out this week. Um, We've got the top 10 players here and we know Luke doesn't like hypotheticals, but this is going to be purely hypothetical. The rest of the show. How did I get that reputation? I don't, I don't, I don't know, Patrick. I, don't I, I didn't know that, but Patrick there, there, there are definitely the times show. when, when you're like, well, I don't want to make like a proposal. I don't want to, I like, you're, you're, think, you're I think that. it's so like, it's hard. It's, I think it's difficult. It's, it's just like, I'll say, like, I'm, I'm happy to say it, but it's just, it, it just, I think it means so little coming from me. Like, yeah, sure. This is what I think, but who knows? Right, we'll, really? we'll, we'll start with 10 to five, Nick, and see if we can move uh, four to one for tomorrow, depending on how, on how much time we have, we might shift to something else instead of throwing all 10 today. But I think we should figure out how we're doing this. Cause for all these teams or for all these players we have listed, are we, doing a trade proposal or are we just saying the team they go to i'm kind of all over the place some of them are you think you're gonna end up you can give a little proposal if you want but this is more so i think i wanted to do a quick fire type thing oh okay sure yeah name a couple of teams that make sense and if you want to throw in a couple of players i can go back the other way that you could see that is perfectly fine as well uh we're gonna start with chris letang of the pittsburgh penguins we talked about him a lot last week Maybe could be moved there. Pittsburgh needs to sort the money situation out, and especially now that they've got Mike Matheson potentially coming in. Patrick, I'll start with you. Crystal Tang, could you see suitors? Could you see him staying? Even though a couple of shows ago I said for the sake of a hot take, maybe move him, uh, I have him staying in in Pittsburgh. Jim Rutherford should be fired. And he should be gone anyway, but I think uh, 
if he moves Chris Letang, he's probably going to mess it up. So I think it's it's just wise for him them to uh, for him to stay in Pittsburgh. Luke, who's he going to go to uh, if he's not going to go to anybody? Is he going to stay? I said it before when we were talking about him. I he better not go anywhere. He there's no reason to move him. I agree with what Pat said. I'll keep it short and sweet. It doesn't make any sense to to do anything with him. Okay, I also think he's going to stay. I also think <laughs> this one's just a big rumor. So that was a. Uh, that was exciting. Uh, we'll move into a former teammate of his. This one, much more exciting. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, Mark andre Fleury. Seems like they have an extension imminent with Robin Leonard. That's going to be announced pretty soon. So he looks like he's going to be the goalie of the future in Vegas. Where does that leave Mark andre Fleury, Patrick? I put the Vancouver Canucks. What? Ooh. Why? Okay. Explain. I'm not, to explain. Tell, I'm not gonna explain. That's that's I think that, Oh, I think so they, we're we're just dropping <laughs> names and then letting people like speculate. Okay. You can give a uh, little brief explanation. Oh, I, I I only really put Vancouver and then I had I put Vegas retains fifty percent. Okay. 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 Uh Luke, you obviously are not gonna say Vancouver. Um well I can't say Seattle. Um you can say Seattle. Mm, wait, no, I'm having second thoughts. He now. can't be traded to Seattle wait, what's yet, wrong, though. What's wrong with no? Flurry? That's what I'm saying. Hang on, can we circle um, back to my take? What's wrong with sure. with Flurry to Vancouver? What's wrong with that? Well, I've never. First of all, I've never heard of that or considered it. Uh, second, I'm I'm not sure he's he's the salute because I'm assuming if you say that you're you're letting Markstrom do what he wants, he's gone, and you're keeping Demko. Well, do you how much? What are you able to sign Markstrom for less than what? Flurry's going to do because I, I think Flurry will take less than Markstrom. Okay, how, how much? How much is Flurry? How much is half of Flurry then? If you're saying I will look right now, it's like three. It's going to be about three point six seven million because he makes uh, over seven half right now. It's cheap. I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's a hot take. I think it kind of makes sense. And like Markstrom's going to Markstrom's a free agent this year, right? Markstrom's yeah. a free agent. He's probably going to ask. He's how old? Markstrom is. 30. Markstrom will come in. I think. I think he's going to come in asking for five, six. Yeah. Like if, if he's going to walk, you free up space, and then you take Flurry on for cheaper. I don't think it's that bad. And Flurry's only signed Maybe the one year, like so a year. it doesn't work. Yeah, or, he's only signed yeah. one more year. Yeah, I guess. And Vegas um, needs to move money, so. I'm. I'm on the. I'm on the keep Demco. Like focus on Demco boat. I. I don't think. I don't yeah. Think, I. I only I know put a lot that of because people. Markstrom's on his way out. Markstrom's going to ask north of five, and you might as well take Flurry on for for a lot less. So, um, I I think um, a lot of people are saying Demko's not ready yet. Bring someone in for short term. I don't agree with that. Uh, but I guess if if you were to do that, I, yeah, I guess I guess Flurry makes wouldn't sense. Be a, if, what, it wouldn't be a bad one year stopgap. I yeah. get it, Pat. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah I, I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. But well, maybe yeah. you should next time because sure. I thought that was yeah. uh, for me. I'm going to go with the Colorado Avalanche. I think they're going to look for somebody to provide competition for Grubauer and Fransu. They have the money. Uh, even if Vegas somehow ends up retaining a bit, Colorado has the space. They need that sort of competition. And not that I think Flurry is necessarily a huge upgrade on either of those two. I still think both goalies there are solid in Colorado, but I think they are going to look for somebody just. Uh, with a name like Flurries to help boost the team. And uh, I think that wouldn't make a lot of sense. Wait, who did I think, Luke even say for Flurry? Well, I, I was going to change remember. my answer to Colorado actually, but I, I'll leave that unexplained Good answer. Um, yeah. now. But um, I think wherever, wherever he does go, he's in, he's in such a good, 
a, like it's, it's, it's a good, not for anyone in specific, but just kind of, he's in a good position wherever he goes, he's going to, he's going to fit exactly what they need, which will be that short term um, one year, two year goalie that'll carry them over to in, in, for example, in Vancouver, it'd be Demko. So it's, it's going to be interesting because, because wherever he goes, it's not going to be a team that is, that is going out to get flurry to have flurry as their guy that wouldn't make sense so it'll it'll be it'll be a short yeah. term and it, it could be it could be a number of teams i i think the expectation is for him to be a backup or at least a tandem with as a solid one too because i think in a tandem he's fine i know he's a bit overrated but i think he i think he's still i, I think hockey. he could he could start so. for i think he could start for a year i wouldn't yep. be against that yep all right uh that one wasn't exactly quick fire but that was that was still good um max domi patrick obviously gonna throw it over to you because i'm sure you've got a couple of thoughts on this one calgary flames okay yeah i could see that uh, they've got the space they need to boost the roster a bit domi could do that you think i i want i want noah hannafin coming back i want some sort of not one for one i want some sort of deal involving noah hannafin to montreal and max domi to calgary domi can play with matthew kachuk and they can be hated and Montreal can get a good defenseman in Noah Hannafin. Obviously, not one for one. There'd be some secondary pieces around it, but that's who I uh, who I picked. Luke, I had stay, uh, but now all the line A talk maybe Winnipeg. Okay, only for line A. Why not? Yeah, I could. I could well, I don't know about that exactly, but uh, you know, some something along those lines. I don't. I don't think Winnipeg is that daft. Okay, uh, I was going to say, uh, I think the Florida Panthers definitely could de- be a team that is around this. Uh, I could also see somebody like the New Jersey Devils wanting to take a chance. They need some roster players, some decent ones to help fill out. Uh, we really don't know what their direction is going to be. They're going to be one of the weirder teams to watch in the offseason, as in they should be on the rise, but they seem to just keep getting worse. Um, but I could see the New Jersey Devils being interested. I think they have the... Uh, capital in terms of picks and prospects uh spare that they could move to montreal to maybe entice or they do have a couple of roster players somebody like a damon severson perhaps yep uh that would be an interesting trade all right kyle paul mary of the new jersey devils patrick i put staying in new jersey and i know if i'm assuming new jersey's trying to get younger and i think it's important to have an older veteran not that he's old but having someone older, a little bit more established. Everything I've read about Kyle Palmieri is that when New Jersey has tried to move him, but people have lowballed and underestimated how good Kyle Palmieri actually is. And the thing is, he actually is a pretty solid goal scorer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is, a, he is a key piece uh, for the New Jersey Devils. So I have staying because I've, I've heard everything about New Jersey saying they've been lowballed. Look, um, 20 goals, over 20 goals every year since 2015. He had 30 in 2016. Um, he scored pretty much 25 goals every yes. year for the past five years. Like that's really underrated, good scoring. Yeah. He, he, he's, he's 29 years old. I don't think there's a rush to move him. And I, and for that reason, I think he stays in New Jersey unless the team blows them away with a proposal, but that doesn't seem to be happening from everything I read. Um, I also said stay. Unfortunately, I don't see. I don't. I, if I was New Jersey, I, I don't have any real need to to move them out. Uh, they're not really in a position where they they need to figure their stuff out right now. Um, contract, well, the only reason he's rumored in the first place, he is a UFA at the end of this year. He has one year left yeah, of his contract. I'm I'm saying, like, I I just I don't see any 
as New Jersey, I don't see do any, any need to do it. Right. Like he's, he's not, you know, he's not, he's not going to be their key, but he's not bringing them down either. And he's an older guy, like Pat said. All right. Uh, I'm going to say he stays for now, but then I think Boston Bruins are going to pick him up at the trade deadline like next year. I, I like think that. that's been, that was one that was rumored this year. And I think that is definitely a possibility. I think he'd be a good scorer for the Bruins. Good ad. Shane Gostas beer, Patrick. Um, I actually had Montreal before Joel Edmondson signed. So we don't really need Shane Gostas right now, but um, you guys are yeah. set. Eh? You're yeah, all, we're, we're, all good. we're good to go. We got Ben Chirot <laughs> and, and Joel Edmondson. All right. So you watch out, right? Um, we're a mean team now. No, um, I had Montreal, but because of all the things they've done, I have him staying in Philly. He's, he's sort of a weird player. I, I, a couple of years ago, he was playing extremely well and sort of died down a little bit. I think he's good. It just seems like hesitance from Philly to want to use him. He's a strong puck mover. His underlying numbers are solid, but um, I think, I think he stays uh, in Philly. Luke. Um, boring answer would be Buffalo. I, I, I kind of agree with Pat there that he's maybe not being used to his full potential in Philadelphia. And maybe that's just the last season, but also I think they're going to have to consider the expansion draft with him. Um, if I maybe get him out, get him out beforehand, try to get something back for him. Maybe, talk to seattle i don't know but uh he's he's definitely going to be in that conversation but other than that uh I, th- I think buffalo would be a good fit but i feel like a lot of these answers could be buffalo so yeah um i'm also gonna say he stays uh i think he has at least one good year left of service for philadelphia again there's no rush to move gosta spear he's signed he is a part of that team right now I think he stays for now at least one more year with that team. Okay, next is Patrick Laine. We already touched on him, really. Uh, I'm going to say he probably ends up with somebody like Montreal. Patrick, I know you're also Montreal thinking. I, I actually I said I said Winnipeg back then, but again, I've read more more stuff uh, about him. You know, potentially being on the move, especially with the, with the whole Shifley thing. So yeah, Montreal, why not? be a pretty sick team oh i also said the islanders that was the other team i said around there uh luke montreal all Not right my answer yeah we talked about enough earlier uh oliver ekman larson patrick that's a big name to be around i want to had... pause for a second pat yeah i think we should i think we should pause because there are two things that are actually breaking right now um yeah. as we have five minutes left so the first one um, from Pierre Lebron, a trade call just wrapped up. Colton Sevier and Mike Matheson uh, to Pittsburgh for Patrick Hornquist. Uh, it happened. That makes we more about sense. It. Yeah, but how? I don't even know how good Colton Sevier is. I I think he's I he's a he's good a, he's a good bottom six forward. He's, a, he's, a, six he's forward. a tough guy. Um, it happened. That's a. I don't know what I don't hate that. Is. I don't hate it, but it's not. I don't think it helps them that much. It doesn't. Oh. They're not a better team now. They're. I think they're worse off if anything. Yeah, so we'll definitely push the rest of this TSN trade bait list to yes. tomorrow's show. Uh, really hyping up tomorrow's show. I guess we'll wrap up now by talking about uh, the breaking news. But yeah, we did touch on it earlier. Yeah, this is a mess for Pittsburgh. I can't see the appeal here. I I don't understand. It, uh, it, there has to be some sort of overhead and conversation about what Jim Rutherford is doing. I have always been a fan of... like. Pre this year, 
I've always admired how every single year, even something like the Zucker trade seemed like such a good move at the time for them to, to continue their window and continue winning with Crosby and Malkin. But now it's confirmed you've given up 15th overall. You've given up Hollander, who's a solid prospect. who can probably be a pretty uh, a solid third-line center. You give up Patrick Hornquist, and you get Kapanen, Matheson, and uh, Sevier. You've made the team worse. You have shortened the window, and it, it just seems like a really awkward situation for them to be in. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I – I definitely do think Jim Rutherford deserves some credit because he did win this team two Stanley Cups. He made the right moves in each of those years to make sure that they were in a position to compete for the cup and his depth moves have definitely saved him. But this is another example now of how much more trust and leeway can the Pittsburgh Penguins give Jim Rutherford just based on the events of a few years ago, because right now on paper, at least it looks like he's quickly drying up this team's window. Yeah, and that's a lot of money thrown in. I'll let you add something real quick, Luke. But that's a lot of money uh, yeah. at left defenseman. Jack Johnson, you have Matheson now. Matheson's better than, than Johnson. Dumoulin. At Dumoulin. Yeah, so assume, yeah, so according to J Fresh Hockey, the Penguins will be spending $17.4 million on left defensemen. And I thought Montreal's situation was bad. That's brutal. That is brutal. I'm not sure what the plan is here. I think this is going to lead to something bigger. We saw the coaching changes made, but... Again, if you're Pittsburgh, this seems like a really uh, sort of just awkward situation to be in. And I hope at some point people look at at what their long-term outlook is. And anyway, I think we're about to wrap up here. And, and um, Luke, do you have anything else you want to add about this whole Pittsburgh thing? Because it's funny we actually I, got I just I think, look, I, I don't like it. I know you guys don't like it. I, I don't hate it as much as you guys, though. I think, I think one thing Pittsburgh does have on their side is age. So I would give it a bit of time to see, to see what, what happens. What do you mean age? That would be the one thing I don't uh, think they have. Yeah, that's side. one thing I don't think. Yeah. No, in terms of the trade, they like in they have younger people. Yeah. Coming in. I, yeah. Give it a like. Sevier is a decent piece to have in the bottom six and should help them depth wise. But uh, I, I just, the term I, I don't, and cost of math is. I don't just, like it. I would just I give it a bit before before I'd fire him over this specifically. All right, so that just about does it for us here on Take Take. Been a really awesome show. Next week, we're going to finish our trade bait board. We're going to do our Take Take Awards, most improved player, most disappointing player. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll step away from some of the statistics and just sort of focus on our opinions and, and get into a lot of fun segments. And exciting that this broke. Hopefully, there are more trades and more stuff coming again. Um, it should be exciting. So thank you so much, uh, both Luke and Nick. Thank you. As always, it's an honor. Tomorrow we'll be here 7 to 8 p.m. on Burnburner. I want to remind everyone that tuned in that this show can be heard on the Burnburner Radio Network on its 122 platforms. Check out all of it on burner.ca for all the news updates. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you tomorrow.